Hi, I'm Wyatt. And I'm Grace. And you're listening to Our Dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Sean Moore, and I am really excited about our episode and our guest today on this show. We've got Tim Hubbard, who's an absolute veteran in the short-term rental game. He wears a lot of different hats from helping people get into this game with his rest, rest methods. He's got a, a fellow podcast host called the Short-Term Rental Riches, which is awesome. If you guys enjoy my podcast, you'll love his as well. So go check that out on your favorite podcast platform. And then also a full management company with Midtown State. So we're going to we're gonna dive into a lot of different topics today, I think. we're And so Tim, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. I'm excited to be here. Excited to chat. Absolutely. So Tim's a a veteran in the space. Um, like we were talking before we hit uh, we hit record, he's been in this. You know, it's gotten really really popular post COVID, but uh, Tim really dove into the short term rental game pre COVID. And so we'll we'll have you dial back the clock and let us know what uh, kind of led you into the short term rental game. And so we're uh, you know there was there was a lot of a lot of you know, Tim and I say, you know, I was telling him, I've heard a lot about him, listen to his podcast, you know, big fan of everything you're doing, Tim. And, and this is our first chance to actually have a conversation. So you guys are probably just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be, you know, hopefully you you enjoy the conversation. I've just got a lot of questions for you just from a fellow, um, you know, somebody else that's in this game and, and running down this road. So I think we'll have a lot of fun. But if we could, Tim, let's dial back the clock. And maybe tell us the backstory. What do you know? What were what was the backstory? You know, you have a really fun journey that uh, is unlike a lot of people's, and so I'm excited to share that with the listeners. But let's dial it back and and kind of dial where we where we came from and what led us to where we're at today. Yeah, sure. So, I guess my, my real estate journey sort of happened before I even knew about real estate. That kind of sounds weird, but I, I, when I was in high school, I went and lived in Spain for a little bit. I got I got a great opportunity to live with a family over there, and it sort of just changed my outlook on life. Where I realized that everywhere's different, every city's different, every culture's different. You know, foods, smells, sounds, languages, everything. And so I always kind of wanted that opportunity to be able to travel freely when I wanted. And so I went down quite a few routes trying to get that freedom really is what I was searching for. So I studied international business. Uh, I was always traveling after school. I worked for a sales company and so I had a pretty flexible schedule. So I was staying in short-term rentals a lot. Somewhere along that line, I, I picked up that purple book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which yeah. I think a lot of us did. And that changed the mindset. I'm like, oh gosh, this is this is the way. And so um, I got a fourplex. That was my first investment back in 2010. So I started with long-term rentals. It was a foreclosure. I did the sort of house hacking method, right? I moved into one of the units. I renovated the other ones. Didn't have a rent payment, you know, ever since basically the first property I got. And so yeah. been really fortunate. I was also fortunate I got in a good time, right? At 2010, that was right after the last crash. So yeah. prices were quite a bit lower. So I did that um, for the next four to five years. I was slowly building a long-term rental portfolio. Uh, I started working as a commercial real estate uh, broker. So we, we did a, a lot of really big transactions with apartment buildings, shopping centers, land, all kinds of different things. And I, I got a lot of good back end experience on that. I'm running numbers. And 
I'm from Sacramento originally, Northern California. And so that's mm -hmm. where I started investing. And as the numbers and the market were kind of changing, I started looking for better returns. And so that brought me out to Tennessee, uh, later on Oklahoma. And it, I think the big turning point, Sean, was in probably 2015, where I converted my first long-term rental into a short-term rental. And the numbers went through the roof, as a lot yeah. of us uh, found out. And so I just kept doing that. And uh, that was kind of my focus. And now, you know, years later, I've sort of expanded. I've expanded internationally. So I'm down here in Colombia now. Uh, and I live quite a lot and uh, quite a big part of the year in Brazil. And so still doing short-term rentals, still doing real estate, and still learning as much as I can. Yeah. So you went from from the the commercial broker and buying building the long term portfolio using that income mm -hmm. to I'm assume you know uh, stack those assets and buy those assets, and then somewhere along the way you decided you wanted to kind of live that uh, nomadic lifestyle right and we we didn't uh, was that was that pre converting into the short term rental game or was that post after you started really getting into and staying in a lot of those Airbnbs? Yeah, no that that was definitely free uh, Airbnbs, although I had been staying in a lot of Airbnbs over the years. Yeah. So I was investing in long-term rentals, traveling whenever I could, staying in short-term rentals. And it was actually when I really, the light bulb sort of went off, I was in a new market doing some property analysis, you know, meeting with property managers, looking to invest in some long-term rentals. And I was staying in a short-term rental uh, and I knew what I was paying, obviously, because I signed up on Airbnb yeah. and I looked up the property just for fun to see what its cost was. It was a brand new property. It was a nice property. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's making way more than I'm making looking at these other potential long-term investments. And so it was at that point that I'm like, I'm going to try this. And I had some properties already that I thought were a good fit for short-term rentals. And so back in California, I, I was living out in the suburbs, but I had some properties downtown. And one of them I was renovating. It was an old historic property built in the 1800s, actually. Uh, and so it was cool. I, I liked it. And my idea was I was going to renovate it and I was going to move into it was my original plan because I sort of yeah. wanted to be downtown. I wanted you know, to be next to things. But at the same time, and I had sort of discovered the opportunity with short-term rentals, I said, I'm going to try this one on Airbnb if it works out. You know, I'll keep doing that. If it doesn't, then uh, I'll just live in it because that's what I was going to do. And that was, yeah, eight plus years ago and haven't really looked back. So <laughs> that's awesome. And and what so and those were in North, uh, you said in Northern Northern California, right? Sacramento mm -hmm. area, kind Correct. of hometown. And then you went into did you mm -hmm. from there, did you start to convert some of the long term rentals that you mentioned that you started looking at in Tennessee, Oklahoma? Did they did you automatically switch the entire portfolio over? Did you say, OK, some of these are going to still work better as long term rentals and I'm going to start building from there. And so you have a mixed portfolio. Yeah. Um, so I hadn't invested out of California at that point. My whole okay. portfolio was there. I maybe okay. had like 10 to 12, 12 units. And so I started converting them there. And the my first acquisition outside of California, I bought specifically to do short-term rentals. Okay. So it was it was an eight-unit building, uh, also historic, sort of the same vibe I had going in Sacramento, needed a ton of work. Uh, and it had all long-term tenants in it. And so I, I like that backup strategy. It's a little harder to do today with the way interest rates and prices yeah. are. But I bought that property as a long-term rental, which made the financing easier. It was occupied yeah. and the banks 
they like occupied properties when you're trying yep. to get a loan. So that made that easier. But I went into that with the intention of converting them all over to short-term rentals. And that's what I did. And, and that properties worked really well. So I sort of just kept doing that. And when was that roughly? When What time frame was that? That was probably 2000. That was 2017. I got that. So I, I think right. I started with the first one in Sacramento in 2015, started converting more and more of those units over. And then 2017 made the jump out of state and uh, started looking for other opportunities. And then when did you make the jump internationally? So if that was, you know, at, at, at what point did you decide, okay, we're going to really start and what, what brought you there? What, what made you think yeah. about investing internationally? Like you said, you're in Colombia right now. I'm super interested to hear the backstory on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I traveled a ton. I think I've probably been to like 80 countries now. And a lot of them I just kept going back to. And Colombia, where I am now, is one of those ones that I just kept coming back here. And every time I was staying a little longer. And so not long after I did that eight-unit building, uh, maybe a year after that was fully functioning, and it really need to be there anymore. You know, I had set up some team, uh, team members to help me with the management. And so I just decided to come down here and that that's when it became more permanent. I'd say 2018. Nice. And then did you, did you start buying properties there? Like what, like when you're, oh, you know, when I, when you're buying internationally, you've got mm -hmm. different property ownership rights, being non-citizen of certain countries, different financing options, like navigating some of that, you know, every, mm -hmm. uh, on the backside, you know, analyzing the properties, setting up to create a unique experience, marketing them, that's all pretty congruent for wherever you're at. But but right. acquiring the properties is a little bit different. Yeah, no, no, that's a good question. I so I did buy a property down here around that time when I came down, but actually all of my investments are pretty much focused in the US up until okay. more recently because we can get financing in the US yeah. and there was excellent financing opportunities. Uh, there still are, in my, in my opinion. Um, and and it just was easier to do it in the US. Like you said, there's a lot of differences going outside of the US. The laws are different. Yeah. Uh, you know, The languages are different and everything. Um, and so most of my portfolio, even up until today, is in the US. Um, we just recently, actually last November, signed for a nice chunk of land here where we're planning a development for 15 short-term rental units. And so we're still working on that, but I'm really excited for that one. Nice. Well, let's, yeah. yeah, that, and I want, I'd, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts and kind of your, your, you know, your experience with managing these types of properties, especially from afar. And I know that you help people manage properties. I personally mm -hmm. don't manage any of my own properties. I hire property managers for all of our properties. Um, always have just always, you know, I've always kind of been of that mindset that they're going to do a better job than I am and, and let them take that. And, uh, you know, but, but it's a, it's our largest expense by far in a way mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. our management fees that we pay out. And so, you know, I know that you've, you, you know, you've got, and, and you've seen from when you started, cause you know, I bought my first one back in 2006. So we've been buying properties mm -hmm. in this yeah, game for quite time. a while, right? We, we started in short-term rentals in 2006 and, and, uh, and I've seen a lot of changes along the way. One of the one of the most drastic changes is the the tools available, right? The technology mm -hmm. tools available to manage some of these properties, but there's still there's still a human component to management. So I'm curious some of your thoughts on that. And uh, as people are like kind of considering what you know your own experience, like you said, most of your properties are over in the U.S. and you're in Colombia right now. You know, mm -hmm. and you're you're I'm assuming you know you've got your own kind of management team and partners that. What what does that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good point you brought up. I mean, when you started, there there 
the technology just wasn't there, right? It was totally yeah. different. I mean, we weren't even using digital locks back then yeah. uh, for the most part, right? Uh, and so the tools, there's so many tools available now. And as you know, I mean, there's like new ones every single day. Yeah. So in my opinion, well, I guess the first thing is when I left California, I still had properties there. And I was still managing those. So I started, I like, I learned to manage my portfolio sort of slowly, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's a lot easier to manage four units than it is like 70, just jumping into something. So um, use the tools, whatever tools were available, um, you know, outsourced management. And so at that time, my housekeeper was helping uh, us with a lot of questions and things like that. And yeah. uh, really for me, now we have so many tools available that, that as long as you have a housekeeper and a maintenance person on the ground, we can do everything else virtually. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter. You know, it, the other thing too, is like a lot of times we start investing in our backyards, right? It's kind of most comfortable, but the moment we step out of our backyard and we go to the next city, even if it's a hundred miles away, if it's too far to actually drive there, then we either have to hire a property manager that's their local. And that, that can work really well for a lot of us, uh, but it can be expensive. Like you said, I mean, short-term rental management fees, a lot of times are 20, 30, 40%. Yep. And so that's a huge chunk, especially when we're talking these high nightly rates. And yep. I think with the tools now we just have the ability to manage effectively really from wherever we are and so um you know now years later we've we've got a fabulous team with people in europe and philippines and mexico uh, and we can manage properties anywhere oh yeah so it's it's been a fun journey yeah and and i think you hit on a, a critical component that i tell people is if you you know, if you've got those two main partners, you know, good cleaners and good maintenance people, those, because it is still critical to have boots on the ground where your properties are at, right? You have to be able to Definitely. have those two, those two components filled and everything else you're right can be done remotely and still have a team doing it. Like I'm, I'm assuming that you're not taking a lot of the phone calls and you're not doing all that stuff, right? You're, you're, you built the team to do it. So you still have the management component in, you just yeah. control the management component, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think sometimes, and I do think it is a little misleading at times when we hear people talk about, you know, oh yeah, I, I manage my properties and it takes me, you know, 15 minutes a week and, and mm -hmm. I can manage a portfolio of 20 properties in less than a couple hours. That's probably 100% true what they're saying, but there's team members doing the rest of it, right? There's people doing totally. it still. And so, and, and so building yeah. those teams and having those teams in place, is uh, is still critical, and but putting the teams together yourself, I think to your point is can be a lot cheaper than just doing more. What I do is bolting on a, a full service property manager that's going to charge me thirty percent every time, right? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, uh, for for most people, assuming you have a good housekeeper and, and a maintenance person, which are a lot easier to find now too than yes. they used. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a whole service industry has been developed around short-term rentals now. Yeah. You know, 10 years yeah. ago, if you try to find a housekeeper, you were probably finding someone that came from the hotel industry exactly. or something like that. So uh, I think there's way more websites and resources to find those on the ground people now. Uh, yeah. And then outside of that, the biggest thing that intimidates a lot of people is the communication, right? A lot of getting the phone call at three in the morning because the toilet's clogged or whatever it happens right. to be. So we always recommend, you know, for anyone self-managing out there that wants to self-manage, 
is to to hire that position first. Yeah. Um, and now we live in this, you know, completely global world. It's easier than ever. And there's a ton of amazingly talented people all over the world. Uh, and if we happen to be in the US, our dollar also happens to be much more valuable than it was even just a few years ago. And so we yeah. can sort of use the currency arbitrage to to hire people with really you know, a lot of talent for a fraction of the price, what it might cost in the US. Um, and we have the tools to to track and help automate and uh, to organize the whole process. So we're not forgetting any of the pieces. Yeah. And you mentioned some of the resources even to find those people like turnover BNB. I mean, that's just that's just kind of exploded mm -hmm. the last couple of years where you can tap into and, and you can find both maintenance and house cleaners on there. Right. I mean, there's mm -hmm. it really was put over put together for house cleaners in a lot of markets where you can tap in and find really good cleaners that are willing to that understand this game in the hospitality space. Are there other resources um, and or tools that you really love on the management side that uh, that that are kind of your go to's? Yeah, so I mean, our, uh, our main programs that we use uh, a property management software, you know, so something that's going to integrate all of our calendars, yeah. uh, pricing software, I think is incredibly important dynamic pricing software. Yeah. So we use price labs. Uh, I would say though, I don't think it, you can, it's not like you can just set it and leave it. Totally right? we used, yep. <laughs> maybe, maybe when I've, first started, no one else was using it, but yeah. we actually need to know how to use it properly, first of all, yeah. uh, and know our market well. So I think it maybe gets you 70% of the way, but we've got that other percentage we got to do. Uh, and then in terms of managing things remotely, in regards to the operational piece, I'd say Breezeway for us is probably been the most important, the most crucial. Uh, Breezeway helps us with maintenance and housekeeping. So yeah. all of our housekeepers, yeah. uh, you know, they just pull it up on their smartphone. They've got a checklist customized to that property, whether it's a 10 bedroom house or it's a one bedroom apartment, we can create a, a perfect checklist for it. Um, they can upload photos if there's some sort of damage, if the guest checks out late, they can tell, I mean, it really can handle the whole process. So I would say, Managing from afar, breezeway, or some software like it. Now we have yeah. a whole bunch of different options. Is is going to be really important. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, you know, when you know, I love I love breezeway. We've been we were introduced to them from some some of our members, and I love that what you said about a lot of these tools and Price Labs being one of them. It seems to be one of the you know the most popular in our mastermind community. Those those members of ours that manage their own properties. They, and we we're a big proponent of price optimization tools. There's a lot of them out there. But we always say you still need to understand the market because sometimes, like you said, it gets you 70 to 80% there. You still have to understand where you need to make those tweaks and where you, sometimes you got, you know, you, these wild swings in pricing. We have one of our members that was showing me they're like, man, this is, I, I go from $200 a night to $2,500 a night in the same week on a property in Broken mm -hmm. Bow. And I'm like, that's crazy. Something's off, right? It doesn't. Yeah. And, and so um, we, you know, you have to, you have to really dial it in and say, okay, this is, you know, it's, it's pulling some, some odd things right now. So we need to, we need to be able to go adjust it. And it's, that's why it's always really important to still be able to understand the data, right? I always, mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest changes that I've seen over the years from when we started. There just wasn't data available. Like we were, it was really hard to find any data for comps, for pricing, for anything, right? Even when we were buying these properties mm -hmm. and we were kind of having to figure it out on our own back in the day, you know, especially in 2006. And even, I mean, and now fast forward to today that there's a lot of data tools out there. The, I think some of the issues with them are, 
that they want to they want to make it to where we can press the easy button. They want to be just mm-hmm. always plug and play. And we've got to be able to kind of peel back the layers of the onion a little bit and understand and use that data to make really good investment decisions. And we can use them for all kinds of decisions along the way. But, you know, you know, being able to extract and figure out what it's really telling us is important as well, instead of just always wanting to do the plug and play with a lot of these software tools. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I'm just thinking of AirDNA, you know, and some examples of, you know, people asking us, uh, how do you think this property will do? And maybe I just remember one example I looked up, it was like a duplex or something like that. And I typed in the address and it gave me returns as if the property was a single family home, you know, which is totally different. So those little things we got to dial into. I think one of the things that we do that makes us more comfortable with the way that we price our properties is by creating a comp set, um, one that's comparable in the market. So uh, where we can take the highest performing properties in the market, and then we can take like the average performing properties in the market, see how their pricing is doing, see how their occupancy is doing, and then base ours around theirs. Uh, But also, yeah, see what those top performing properties have that might be different from our properties. Do they have a pool and ours doesn't, you know, do they have yeah. a game room or whatever it is? So tons of data. Uh, I totally agree. This was not available back yeah. in the day, you know, not at all. Not um, at all. And now, now I think there's so much, uh, we just have to know how to use it and kind of, uh, fine, fine tune it. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, one thing that I always, you know, working with it, we work with, you know, in our mastermind group and our, we've got about 2,500 investors across the country. So that's a large buying group, right? And a lot of us follow the same underwriting criteria. We follow some like figuring out those locations. But I always tell people, even though we're following kind of the same blueprint and the same process to build these portfolios of short-term rentals, our portfolios look completely different. And, mm-hmm. you know, I heard you talk about getting started with kind of multifamily properties, duplexes, fourplexes, eightplexes, right? You know, uh, mm-hmm. my my portfolio, I've never had a short-term rental that wasn't just a standalone single family home. And, and mm-hmm. so, and I've seen, and especially working with as many investors as we've worked with, there's success throughout all those different types of markets. There's not one size that is, is perfect for, you know, for that, okay, that's the perfect investment. There can be the perfect portfolio for your investment goals. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you like those, you know, the, the projects that have, you know, multiple units or like you're working on the development now, that's more of a community. Um, I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear some of your thoughts on that. And if it was just, you kind of rolled into that and it's comfort and that's where you stayed, or if there was a reason for that. And if you're excited about some of those opportunities with those types of properties. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, what? one of the points there is that there's just so many use cases for short-term yeah. rentals. Yeah. I mean, there's people living in short-term rentals, which I think is really exciting now, uh, not just traveling in them, yep. uh, but there's people visiting them for work. There's people displaced because of a fire and their homes being rebuilt, uh, or there's people uh, going on vacation for a week. But now yeah. maybe that week vacation becomes 10 days because people yeah. can work from there as well. Uh, and they can travel with the whole family. So there's just so many use cases. And I think it can work no matter what style property you have. I got into the multifamily space originally because I was buying those investments um, just based on cash flow. Uh, and they were in affordable markets where it was easy for me to get a loan because I took the numbers from the property, gave them to the bank and said, Hey, look, you know, this is positive. A lot yeah. of times that that's maybe not the case in the short-term rental space where you, you buy a million dollar uh, home on the beach. 
Um, and you know, things have changed though, too, a, a few years ago or five years ago, if you try to buy that property, there was way less lenders that were going to be open to that. Right. Yeah, um, so that's, sure. that part's definitely changed, although interest rates are a lot higher now, but at least, uh, people or, or banks have under, understanding that this isn't going away. Like, you know, yeah. short-term rentals are, have been growing and continue to grow because people enjoy the experiences. We're more mobile than ever. So, uh, I guess, yeah, in a nutshell, there's just so many use cases that can work anywhere yeah. along the way. Yeah, and I think that that and and I I wonder if you agree with this. Um, it sounds like you kind of do, and I was kind of leading in because you're exactly right. There's so many use cases, and a lot of times people always ask me, "Where's the best place to buy? What is what's the best type of property to buy?" And I always say, you know, buy in an area that you enjoy, and mm -hmm. buy in a property that can target who you are as a target audience. Right? You should be part of your mm -hmm. target audience because you understand them. Because at the end of the day just having a property in a great location is not going to make you money in this game anymore, right? We have to mm -hmm. now go figure out how to, how to develop and put together a unique experience for a target audience, whether that's the vacationer, whether that's, you know, couples getaway vacationers for, you know, multifamily vacations, whether that's the digital nomad or somebody that's coming in and going to be living in the Airbnb for a while or the short-term rental for, you know, a month or more, right? There's, there's all mm -hmm. kinds of different use cases. And if you understand your target audience, you're going to be able to set that property up better. You're going to be able to articulate it in your marketing better. And that's why, you, you know, I would never do good like buying, like I, I don't like to travel with big groups. And so I don't really mm -hmm. buy big properties that, that host big groups because even though I've seen them be super successful, it's just mm -hmm. not who I am as a target audience. And so I like to buy properties that I can really dial into who's going to be using them because I always feel like I'm going to do a better job of setting it up. And I, you know, I think it, it shows with what some of the properties that you're doing is, you know, you've lived this nomadic lifestyle and you understand what those travelers are looking for. And I'm guessing that a lot of your, a lot of your short-term rentals probably attract that same type of a group or, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm totally off, but I always, I always feel like that that's a big key. When I look at successful operators is they, they understand who they're going after and they really ultimately end up fitting into being part of their target audience. Mm -hmm. No, that's exactly right. Um, couldn't have said it better. I mean, that that very first property that I was designing and renovating and furnishing for myself yeah. that I decided to put on short-term rental became really, really successful. And it was set up exactly for a person like me. Um, and so I think that that is really important. We have to know who our guest avatar is, right? If, if yep. we have... Um, you know, people visiting the the ski resorts and everyone likes to sit in the spa after a nice day on the slopes and your property doesn't have a spa and your occupancy is way down. Well, you should be able to kind of figure that out with the data yeah. out there. Um, I think one of the exciting things about short-term rentals still, and it's getting it's getting more competitive, much more than, you know, when, when we started back in the day. But one of the exciting things about it still is that you can have two properties right next to each other and they can perform totally different, totally differently based on how well you're managing in them. And yeah. that goes back to knowing these things. And the cool thing about the management too, is that, you know, we have properties in our portfolio, they're really large. And then we have small little urban properties and most of the management, you can do the same way. You, you have to yeah. have the property set up the right way, but the actual management can be done the same way. So, yeah.
And, and in management specifically, there's a lot of economies in scale, right? There's the economies of scale with management because you can do it a lot the same way. So, the, you know, that you get the benefits when you have even more and more properties versus just the one property because the systems are all the same, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the, this, all the processes, the systems are, are essentially going to be the same across the board because the hospitality is hospitality and you have to deliver that experience and you typically deliver it, even though it might be a different experience, property to property, the delivery is pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, using guidebooks and, and yeah. providing recommendations and those things, I think, you know, we actually just started managing properties in February. And so up until then we had sort of just been managing my own portfolio, figuring it out, growing the team. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really exciting now to continue growing that team. Uh, and it makes it better for my own properties. We use the same team, uh, for mine, but it does come back to that hospitality experience and we can do, uh, most all of that virtually now. The the two pieces that were most difficult for me and that are most difficult for most people are the housekeeping and the maintenance. And so for us to to manage a property on the other side of the world, uh, we just don't have those resources to go there and find those people. But there's a lot of people out there that already have those connections. And so we've sort of come up with a hybrid management where we help people virtually, but we still rely on their on the ground connections and we do all the coordination, marketing, yeah. all that stuff. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Tim, as we, you know, there's a lot of changes. We've seen a lot of shifting around the short-term rental game the last, the last year or so, right? We, we, we kind of came off of that, that COVID spike that was never going to last long-term, but if everybody's really mm-hmm. honest, any of us that had properties the last three years made money, right? We didn't, we didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot um, mm-hmm. during that time frame. We are having to get back down to business and really understand how to run the business. And we had to still do that. And you know, this, pre-COVID because it wasn't as popular, you know, when, mm-hmm. when we were talking about, you know, especially back when, when I was doing it in 2006, seven, eight, I mean, we yeah. were on Craigslist and we weren't even using Airbnb at the time, right? It was, it was like local classifieds and you had to create these great experiences. You had to market them really heavily so that they, people would choose you over hotels because they didn't even know you existed, mm-hmm. right? You had to create some demand. And now we're having to get back to some of those same fundamental things that we had to do back in the day. But yeah, um, for different reasons. Now it's super crowded. Now we're now, now that supply and demand is kind of leveled off, you know, there's, mm-hmm. and you, and just having a property doesn't make you money anymore. What are, and, but there's a lot of people that, that look at that as, okay, the, you know, that we've heard the term Airbnb bust. We've heard, you know, the golden age is over. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't feel like that. I know you don't as either for a lot of different reasons, the demand just continues to skyrocket. We just have to figure mm-hmm. out how to play the game. I'm curious, what are some of the things that you're, you know, maybe worried about or or concerned about in the in the business? And then also on the flip side of that, or what are some of the things you're most excited about moving forward into the as the short-term rental world really matures? Cause that's what to, to me, we're in that maturity stage, right? We're we're actually recognized as a mainstream as a mainstream asset at this stage. Where yeah. For a lot of my career, it wasn't. It wasn't recognized as like a short-term rental is kind of something you did with a single family home if you didn't know what to do with it, kind of. It was like, you know, maybe yeah. maybe I'm going to try to make money on my my vacation home and supplement a little bit. Now it's really matured to a mainstream asset, which brings about a lot of opportunities, a lot of growth potential, mm-hmm. but, you know, but also a lot more competition as well. Yeah, no, a lot, a lot of good points there. I mean, the the two sides to kind of where we're going, I think, is is uh, what 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 you're asking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In my in my opinion, so I think on the one side, like you said, uh, we're we're recognized now. We're 
it's it's no longer just hotels and uh, it, but we're a huge part of the space. We continue to grab demand, and that's exactly why hotels are building properties you know, with more of a live-in sort of um, component where they have kitchens. Uh, it's exactly why there's venture capital entering to this into the yeah. space and family offices and just lots and lots of money coming into the space because there is a lot of demand. And that was one of the, the silver linings with COVID, right? People weren't staying in a lot of hotels because there was a lot of common areas. Uh, a lot of hotels were shut down. Uh, and so that brought a whole bunch of visibility. And I think that visibility is still there. Uh, I do think that COVID totally just flipped supply and demand just on its head. And a yeah. lot of people ran out and bought vacation rentals and specific vacation rental markets, you know, a lot of those drive to destinations. So we saw a huge increase in supply in a lot of those areas. Those are some of the places, unfortunately, I think that over the next year or two might be a little more challenging uh, for people as we kind of go back to realistic numbers. But I would say, I don't think there's nearly as many people buying vacation rentals right now, especially because of the way interest rates are, you just can't afford them. Um, and there's also kind of that fear out there, you know, that there is an Airbnb a bus, which I, I don't agree with either. But uh, I, I do think for those that have short-term rentals right now, we're in a pretty good space because the demand's still there. Uh, and as long as, you know, even if you're in one of those markets that's been more challenging, I think it's going to get easier for you um, because less supply is going to come on the market over the yeah. next year or um, for a while. So, um yeah, I guess supply and demand, it all kind of comes down to supply and demand, right? Yeah, yeah. I always tell people, you know, real estate is fairly simple economics, right? And it's supply and demand. And that's on the, the front end when we're buying and selling, and it's also on the back end, right? And so mm -hmm. you have to, you can really look at and and see what's going on and, and formulate your strategies. And it really does always come down to supply and demand. So I, I totally agree with you 100% on that. So Tim, this has been a really fun conversation and we are going to kind of nearing the end of this and, and I really appreciate you being here. Um, where can we point people? Where is the best place for people to connect and, and learn more about what you're doing, You know how they can possibly get help? Obviously, we mentioned the podcast, some of your coaching methods, all those different things. Where, where, where is the best place to go connect with Tim? Yeah, so start of the podcast. I can't believe we're, we're coming up on episode 200, but um, awesome. it was Congrats. designed. There, <laughs> thank you, thank you. They're just short, quick, act, actionable tips, uh, the majority of them for people in the short-term rental industry or who want to get into it. And so you can definitely check us out there, short-term rental riches. You can find it on all the platforms. Uh, restmethods.com, R-E-S-T, methods.com is where we have a bunch of free resources. Um, if someone out there is interested in sort of a hybrid management approach, we'd be happy to chat with you too. Uh, and so you can find a link for that on there as well. Um, so yeah, between those two places. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I, and just so, you know, another endorsement for the short-term rental riches podcast, I've been a listener for a long time. You do a great job with it. I uh, appreciate awesome. the time you spend on it and appreciate the information that you put out there. It's, it's, it's well done. And, and any, anybody that's listening to ours right now, I know you guys will really enjoy Tim's, Tim's uh, podcast as well. So go subscribe and, and uh, be a listener on that, uh, that channel. So 
Guys, let's, uh, at the end of every episode, um, Tim, I always ask all of our guests, you know, we, you know, especially, and I'm, I'm, I love when we talk to somebody that's been in the game for a little while, if you go back to your 20 year old self and all the lessons learned and different things that you've gone through and give yourself a piece of advice, you know, what would that be? And uh, if you could go rewind the clock and say, here's, here's what I would do maybe a little different, or here's what I would, you know, maybe not do different, but what I might actually do instead or, or what, anything in between. Yeah. Well, if if I can just kind of break this into two pieces, maybe I, I would say I, I don't think any of us can really accomplish great things without having some sort of motivation. Um, and, you know, that's not, we know that there's plenty of rich people that aren't happy, right? Or, and so for yeah. me, I, I, that was exploration, I guess, traveling. And I luckily stumbled across that when I was really young. And so that's sort of been my motivation. It's been nice that it's sort of, just turned into real estate because, you know, staying in all these short-term rentals, but had I not have that, or actually to have, um, expedited my real estate, I, I would say, had I looked for some sort of mentor, you know, right in the beginning, maybe re after reading rich dad, poor dad, and just finding someone out there that's, that's doing it, um, and trying to help them in some sort of way, working for them for free, yeah. doing whatever you have to, to learn everything that they've learned. So you don't have to go through all the mistakes. I think that's the, the easiest way for us to, um, just cut time frames down and, and to achieve things easier and faster. Nice. I love it. And, and, Great piece of advice. Couldn't agree more. You know, it's one of those things that I wish I learned sooner. You know, I was kind of that blue collar guy that grew up and figured like, oh, I can just figure this out on my own. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get dirty and I'm going to figure it out. Right. And, and I was, I wish I would have found mentors a lot earlier in my life, or at least not, I mean, they were there, right? I didn't, I didn't go and seek them out and, and figure it out. I was saying, okay, I'm just going to put my nose down and do this on my own. And then when I started hiring mentors and coaches. And like now I spend multiple six figures a year for mentors and coaches because I see how fast I can accelerate the really what I'm trying to do, figuring out, finding those people that are doing what you want to do and make sure it's people that are in a position where you want to be, right? And and so totally agree because you can really accelerate your progress versus trying to do it on your own. And so, and, and I love the advice of saying, you know, go work for somebody, go, you know, go, go do things for them for free, go, go help them out and, and seek out mentors that you can even work for and work under and learn along the way. It's a great way to get mentorship, right? And so, yeah, yeah. I really, really appreciate that, that piece of advice. So guys, we are wrapping it up today. So this is, uh, this has been a really fun conversation, Tim. Um, all of you, we will put restmethods.com as well as short-term rental riches, the podcast in the show notes. So you can go track Tim down and start following him, see what he's doing. And, uh, and as, as always, you guys know, you know, we know how valuable your time is. We know how valuable just even listening to these podcasts are. We hope you gain value from them. We appreciate you spending your time with us. And as always, we ask you, if you got any value out of it, share it with somebody that you know, and, uh, you know, recommend it, give us a, give us a like, a thumbs up, follow us on YouTube and the podcast channel. If you have more than 30 seconds, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Those things do help. And as always, guys, the last thing I ask you at the end of every episode is to go pick one thing you can do today to start building that life you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey, Grace, is there a website? Yes! 
For more amazing content and expert advice, visit bodicey.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.